In John 14, 11, it says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The title of this morning's message is A Detailed Search. A detailed search. And go on a crime scene, you must go over every square inch of the scene in an attempt to locate even the smallest particle of evidence. Many crime scenes warrant the use of an evidence vacuum in the scene to collect any potential microparticle. Everybody say microparticle. We're going to be using that term a lot today. Any microparticle of evidence such as hairs or fiber strands. This step should be performed prior to the close of any inspection of the case. And so that's the, 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 the nugget of a crime scene investigation that we're going on this morning. And so the nugget that we're going to go on this morning with this crime scene investigation is in Matthew chapter number 16, verses 13 through 19. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Now, as you're turning there, and get your notes ready, get your phones ready, pull it out, Facebook, awesome points if they're made, and you've got to reveal something to you, tweet them out there. So make a note of it somehow so you can go back and remember it, amen? I mean, if you don't write it down, if you don't begin to do something with the information, you're never going to remember the information. Stats are, by the time this sermon's done, you'll remember 10% of it when, by the time the evening's done. At the end of 30 days, you'll remember less than 1% of it. At the end of the year, you'll only remember an illustration from it if that. So unless you begin to write down, you're not going to learn. You're not going to know. You're not going to grow the way God's called you to grow. And so Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, it says, Now Jesus, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, good old Simon Peter. Gosh, I love that guy. Of course, Simon Peter replied first, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And here's the micro particle we're going to bear down on. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And here's where we're going to get specific. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here's the scene. We walk on the crime scene. The scene of God is the whole Bible. It's a big scene. So we're going to narrow it down to a specific point. It's the gospel of Matthew. We're narrowing it down a little bit farther. Jesus walks into the area of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples a pointed question. Who do you say that I am? So here's where the scene unfolds. And then we know Peter, awesome Peter, pipes up. And he says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. For flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you. But my father in heaven has. And Jesus looked at Peter. And, and, and Jeff, can you stand up? Can I use you as an illustration? Because we misinterpreted this, and this isn't part of the message either. And, and, um, but I guess it is now. And so Jesus is saying, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, and a lot of people say, upon you, I'm going to build my church. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter goes on to reiterate this, that the church isn't built on Peter, it's built on Christ, because Peter goes on to say, we all like living stones are being built on a foundation of Jesus Christ. So Peter knew that he is a living stone built on the cornerstone where Jesus said, I am the rock that the church is going to be built on. And I praise God that the church is built on Christ, not on Peter. Can I get an amen? Because two, uh, two, three verses later, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. 
I mean, if you didn't study the Bible right, you'd say, Jesus is bipolar. <laughs> he looks at Peter and says, oh, I'm building my church on this rock, and then you're Satan. <laughs> That's not what he said at all. So he said, if I'm this rock, I'm going to build my church. Thank you. Give him a hand. He's awesome. And so he's going to build his church on the rock of himself. And then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's the microparticle we're looking at. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as we begin to break this down, we must begin to understand something about this is just, it's very unique. It's unique in the fact that it's only found once in the Gospels. Out of all four, it's found once in the Gospel of Matthew. And this is the only time church, or this is the first time church is mentioned in the Bible, and I'm big on the theology of first. Anytime something happens for the first time in the Bible, look for what is said immediately after that, because a lot of times it defines what the true purpose of it is. And so Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the church, your purpose is the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So, so that's part of the theology of it. But in all the studying and a lot of things that I've read, that uh, a lot of theologians and everybody, they avoid the part and the gates of hell shall not prevail, prevail against it. They avoid it and then we minimalize it to, well, well, you know Jesus is just going to triumph over hell. You know that's true. Well, we know that's true. He already did it. <laughs> Duh. But there's way more to it than that. He already triumphed over hell. We understand that. And so what does it mean that the gates, and everybody say gates, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And he goes on to say, if we're going to get to the fullness of this, we must begin to study the DNA of this passage of Scripture. So where is this passage of Scripture found? Matthew. Okay, we're good. We're good. It's not a trick question. The Scripture is found in the Gospel of Matthew. So if we're going to find out truly about this scripture and why it's only mentioned in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew, we should back away from the scene a little bit and get a full perspective. And so let's look at Matthew just for a minute. And, I, and we've done this with Mark and we've done it with Luke and now we'll do it with Matthew. The theme of the gospel of Matthew is that Christ is the king of the Jews. And the main verse in all of the gospel of Matthew is Matthew 21 verse 5. And it says, behold, your king is coming to you. He didn't say your servant. He didn't say your God man like it would in Luke. He didn't say, oh, deity like it would in John. He didn't say, um, and I mentioned servant like it, like it would have said to the, to, the, to the Romans in Mark. He said your king is coming to you. That tells you a ton about the verse that we just read. If the Gospel of Matthew is themed as a kingdom book and Christ is king, we must understand Jesus in this book is speaking from a kingdom aspect. And now the word fulfill is used 15 times in the Gospel of Matthew, more than any times than any other book of the Bible. And that means to fill completely, to accomplish, to make full, to make complete. So when Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law, he said, I came to make it complete. I am that atoning sacrifice that the law needed to become the power that God wanted it to be. So he declared that he fulfilled the law of the word of God. It speaks from a kingdom standpoint. Kingdom is mentioned 23 times. Kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times. And son of David is mentioned 10 times in the Hebrew that always referenced as a king or a kingdom standpoint. And it stands from the, the church. This is the only time Matthew is the only gospel that the church is used in. And we just read that scripture. Now Matthew is funny. It's how it's written. Matthew is written by some of the worst of sinners that the, in the Bible history. And so Matthew is written by a tax collector. Matthew is written by a, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is a tax collector 
and, and it's written by Matthew, who is a tax collector. He's one of the 12 uh, disciples. He was a tax collector by trade. And his social status, literally, is considered one of the lowest levels classified with that of a heathen. Okay? So the Gospel of Matthew is written by a heathen. That gives me hope. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Come on now. That ought to inspire some of you. <laughs> The Gospel of Matthew is written by a heathen, one of the worst of the worst, lining up him right there with Zacchaeus, one of the worst of the worst, who cheated, who robbed, who stole, who had political agendas, who had government agendas when they did their tax collecting. They were paid by Rome, and Rome said, if you just give us this amount of money, anything you collect on top of that, you can have. So they would make up their own laws and say, well, now you've got to pay an additional tax for this, and they would just keep the extra money. It was the, it was the worst side of a capitalistic society that you had ever seen. Okay, and so in this process, we got one of the most powerful books in the whole Bible written by a heathen or a tax collector or somebody who sat at the city gates and robbed people of their money when they came in. And you're thinking, why is this important to the message? And, and, and you got to understand as we will get there here in just a second. As we begin to study the gospel of Matthew and look at it. There are certain things about the gospel of Matthew that set it apart, and especially the kingdom standpoint. So it starts out, it talks about the ancestry, it talks about the preparation, it talks about the proclamation, it talks about the, what, what Jesus' manifesto was. And if you ever wonder what Jesus truly came to this earth to do, you need to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It is one of the greatest, if you want to say it like this, it is one of the greatest kingdom political speeches ever written. Okay? And some of y'all are like, I can't believe you just compared Jesus to politics. I'm going to compare Jesus to a lot of stuff this morning that you may not like. Okay? Because you've got to understand this. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to start a kingdom. And if we in America just relegate Jesus to a great religious movement, we're missing out on 90% of what the gospel has entitled us to do. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus is way more than a religious leader. He was way more than somebody who started a spiritual movement. He's way more than somebody who just raised people from the dead and we declare it's the power of God because it is the power of God. But he's way more than that. When he was addressing the issues in the Sermon on the Mount, they were not religious issues. They were kingdom issues. They were government issues. They were political issues. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a kingdom. And the kingdom of God is what we're going to begin to continue to talk about. And so, like I've done in the past, I've got, still got like two and a half pages of notes on Matthew that when you download the blog, you can read it and go through all of Matthew and get the full DNA, the full makeup of everything there. But I don't have time to go through all the gospel of Matthew this morning because that's just a little piece, a little microparticle of the microparticle verse that we're picking out to see the kingdom of God manifested. And so if we go with the concept of the gates of hell shall not prevail... We must begin to understand that when Jesus came, he delivered what the Germans call a gestalt. Everybody say gestalt. That is, means he delivered a message, a passage that is more than a religious statement. It's, a, it's an all-encompassing statement. So when Jesus came and he did more than start a religion, he wanted to start a kingdom. He wanted to start something that would do this. It would affect government. It would affect politics. It would affect economy. It would affect social dynamics, and it would affect religion. When you got born again, come on, are you there? When you got born again, you did way more than a spiritual transformation. You received power from on high that God indwells in you to change government, 
to change politics, to change religion, to change social dynamics, and to change economy. Come on, we got 10 people excited about that. Jesus didn't come for you to have a happy Sunday morning worship service. Jesus came to start a kingdom that said you can be a part of this kingdom that will affect government, politics, economics, social dynamics, and religion. Jesus isn't worried about starting a religious movement. He said religion is part of the whole picture, but I came to deliver a gestalt to you. Something that's all-encompassing. Something that will change the history as we move forward. Jesus came to start a kingdom movement. And, and if I had time to go in this in great detail, I would love to. But we don't understand kingdom in America. Because we've only lived in democracy. We actually broke away from kingdom because we didn't like dictatorship. Okay? And, and Jeff mentioned it best one Sunday when he was preaching. He said, the only difference between a revolt and a revolution is a revolution becomes a revolution because they won the war. <laughs> Come on, that's true. A revolution becomes a revolution because they won the war. If they would have been defeated, it would have just been a revolt. <laughs> so Jesus didn't just come to start a kingdom. He came to start a revolution. And so when Jesus began to start a revolution that's going to dictate government, politics, economics, social dynamics, and religion, what do you think of all the religious leaders over here who had an effect on government, politics, economy, social dynamics, and religion started doing? They started hating him and wanting to kill him because he was going to interfere with their economics. Mm. It's time the church interferes with some economics again. It's time we become such powerful givers and powerful world changers and we become some of the greatest people that ever lived on the face of the earth that we have a defined moment in our history where we have a profound effect on the United States economy and on the world economy as the body of Christ. Listen, $84 billion could solve world hunger for one year. Come on. $84 billion could solve world hunger for one year. The last I checked, um, uh, uh, Apple Corporation had $274 billion just sitting in reserve. <laughs> There's not a money problem, but there is an economic problem. There's not a money problem. There's no shortage of money in the earth, but there is an economic problem. There's no shortage in the money in the earth, and, and I'll tell you why, because we still see people spending millions and billions uh, on just entertainment. Football games, basketball games, your direct TV bill, your, net, uh, your, your NFL uh, Sunday ticket pass. There's no shortage of money. It's just how we've decided to spend it. So there is an economic problem, not a money problem. And you can equate that to every area that we've just talked about, whether it's government, politics, economy, social dynamics, and anything else. Now, here's where it all comes together. If Jesus did not come to start a religion, he came to start a kingdom... And the kingdom will affect government politics, it'll affect social dynamics, it'll affect economy, and it'll affect religion. What do the gates have to do with anything? The gates in the Bible, whenever you read about a gate in the Bible, literally it's this. Gates were the center of city life. The gates affected government, politics, economics, religion, and social dynamics. At the city gates is where everything was done. 
At the city gates is where government decisions were made. At the city gates is where political decisions were made. At the city gates is where economic decisions were made. At the city gates is where social dynamics were set. At the city gates is where religious issues were discussed and, and voted upon. It wasn't at the temple that these things were done. It was at the city gates. Let me give you some examples because if we don't understand gates, the microparticle of this will miss the whole truth. And the microparticle is so important because you can have a bunch of facts, but the microparticle is literally the missing link that ties everything together. And for so long, we've read this verse, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then we go on to the next part. It says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. But we don't know what we're binding and loosing because we just know that Jesus is building a church, but we've never understood gates. And so in this, this is what, gates in the city is where everything was done. Listen, in Genesis chapter 19, when God's angels arrived in Sodom and were fixing to kill it, Lot was sitting at the city gate making decisions on behalf of an evil city. Not that Lot was evil, he was trying to stand for righteousness in the midst of an evil city. So he was going against the government and political flow of that city at the gates. Listen, stonings or punishments for evildoing were done at the city gates for a specific purpose because everything that happened at the city gates they would stone people at the city gates because it was the center of life and word of what happened would spread quickly throughout the land because everybody knew what happened at the city gates everybody knew what took place there boaz when he went to settle legal matters regarding ruth because he was going to marry her he went to the city gates to do it when a soldier arrived at Shiloh to report that the Philistines had came and captured the Ark of the Covenant, Eli, as a prominent city official who was also a priest, was sitting at the city gates, and when he heard the news, he fell off his chair and broke his neck and died. Happened at the city gates. The news first arrived to the great political center of their city gates. King David stood by the gate giving last-minute instructions as his army was leaving. Mordecai learned of the plans to assassinate the king while sitting at the king's gate in the book of Esther. Everything happens at the city gates. So how does this microparticle tie everything together? You have the writer of the gospel of Matthew, okay? Where would he have done all his work? At the city gates. The evilest of person at the city gates tax collecting, doing government issues, making political statements, doing uh, whatever he did with social dynamics, changing, having an effect. He did it at the city gates, but he was considered a heathen before Jesus called him. And so when he's writing this gospel, he understands the politics, the government, the social dynamics, the economics, and he also understands the religious side of it. So he begins to make a statement. He said, Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church so the very dna the very makeup of this man who was involved in the government the politics the economics the social dynamics and the religion at the city gates begins to make a statement that the gates of hell come on now they're not going to prevail against the church they may rise up against the church but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that literally mean? This is what that literally means. When the powers of hell that affect government begin to rise up against the church, Jesus said, the gates of hell concerning government that are rising up against my church will not prevail against my church. 
when the gates of the when the things of hell that inspire politics rise up against my church the gates of hell that inspire politics will not affect my church come on now Listen, in the next 10 years, I'm not prophesying this, but it's just going to happen. In the next 10 years, churches will no longer be able to be 501c3 organizations where we do not have to pay taxes. Just get ready for it. Just get ready for it. There's going to be so much pressure come down on the American church in the next 10 years. And if you don't understand that the gates of hell or the things spawned in the gates of hell that affect government will not prevail against the church. It doesn't say they won't come against it. They won't prevail against it. That the things spawned at the gates of hell that affect politics that come against the church, they're going to rise up, but they're not going to be successful of the church. The things in economy, the things that come against the church spawned at the gates of hell that rise up to try and stop churches are only going to do one thing. Let the power of God fall to begin to empower churches at a whole nother level come on now in this process in this day in the times that we're living i believe the writer of the gospel of matthew matthew himself understood what jesus was talking about when he said prophetic statements for the church of the year 2015 that he is saying church take courage because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that is founded on jesus christ it'll stand and it'll stand forever Come on now. So I'm not sure what you're battling in your life, but we are nowhere closest to the darkest day that the church has ever seen. We have even begun to experience persecution in the church. And I'm not sure why everybody's so worried about church being persecuted. Jesus said it's going to happen. So what you worried about it for? He also said when it begins to try to happen, it's not going to prevail against it. And listen, we don't, we don't even face a dictator nowhere close to who Nero was who would strap Christians down and wrap them up in cloth and hang them from poles in his garden and light them on fire alive to light his garden at night so he could see a pretty view. And Jesus knew the day of Nero was coming real shortly after his death. And he said, church, in your darkest day, the day when Nero's killing all my apostles, the day when they're dying and being crucified upside down. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The things spawned by your governments that will prevail, that are going to try and kill the church will not prevail. The things spawned at the gates of hell in, the, in your politics that try to crush my church will not prevail. The things spawned in the economy world that try to stop the church will not prevail. The things spawned through social dynamics, come on now, that try to stop the church or put their pressure on the church will not prevail. The things of religion... And church, we ought to be a lot more worried about religious problems than government problems that are spawned at the gate of hell. Jesus said, they ain't prevailing. That's what he said when he said, when Jesus made this statement about the church, he said, upon this rock, me, Christ, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What Jesus is saying is, I am here, and I'm declaring an all-out war. It's now the kingdom of God versus the gates of hell, and we will prevail as the church. That's what he was saying. This was not some namby-pamby speech to inspire Peter to live on towards the gospel. He's saying, get ready, because I'm bringing an all-out war. I'm bringing a gestalt that's going to change government, politics, economics, social dynamics, and religion. I'm bringing it, Jesus said. And this is why Jesus said when he sent his apostles out the second time, he said, this time you take a sword. This time you take an extra cloak. Get ready for battle. That's what he's saying. But he's also saying in that don't depend on your earthly materials to get you through. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. You're going to have to go on my sword, not your sword. 
You have to live in my truth, not your truth. You have to see God do amazing things. And now you'll begin to understand why the next statement Jesus made. Oh, this, this, will, this will get some of y'all excited. This is where Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Government, politics, economic, social dynamics, everything else, not going to prevail. Then he goes up on to say this. He says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is I'm replacing those gates with my gates, and you got the key to come in and go as you please. I'm replacing the gates of hell with the gates of heaven, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And some of us, when we've been taught this, we go out and say, well, I bind this up. Well, you need to, I want you to kind of flip it in your head just for a second. It, it works that way, but just, just bear with me for one moment. This is a deeper kernel of truth, and I want you to flip it in your head. If something's bound to you, what do you need to do? You need to loose it. So some of you need to literally say, instead of you trying, well, I bind a spirit of sickness in my house, you need to say, no, we let go of a spirit of sickness in my house. I'm not hanging on to it no more. And it can't be attached to me because I got the keys to the kingdom of heaven in my life. Some of y'all need to start letting go of some stuff and stop binding so much stuff. Because the only way it's with you is because you're carrying it on your own power anyway. And you need to let go of it, not bind it. Some of you need to start letting go of some unforgiveness because you've kept it bound to you. Because unforgiveness, you think, protects the heart, and the only thing it's doing is depriving it of oxygen, and it's killing that heart. Jesus made a profound statement when he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail, but it was only a foundational statement to set up the next one. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, oh, this gets me excited, I'm sorry, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he said, I have taken the keys of death and the grave. Because notice in that verse, he didn't say, I'm I have already given you. He said, I will give you. He knew what he was fixing to have to do on the cross of Calvary. But he knew on the cross of Calvary when he died and he would suffer the pangs of hell, the worst parts of hell, the Bible says, on the third day he would rise forth. He would lead captivity captive, give gifts unto men. And he said, I got the keys now. There's new gates in place. Come on. And you got the keys now. And you got them now. Now the only part of this whole message that I struggled with the whole time is this. Is how do you end it? God said you don't. You don't want this to end. You don't want this to be a closure. You don't want to leave here and say, wow, that's a good message. You had a great ending. God said, I don't want an ending to it. I want you to go with the keys. I want you to understand the rock that you're being built on as a person, a living stone in Jesus Christ. You're being built on him, rooted and founded and grounded in him as a living stone, the Bible says. And Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and because of you being built on this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail against it because you are the church, and I'm giving you the keys, and so you can get in your car and go home with power this morning like never before. But some of y'all are going to leave your keys right on the chair in front of you. After a great message, you're going to be like, wow, that was awesome. You'll leave tomorrow and bad days can happen. I forgot my keys. I'm telling you, spiritually, put them in your heart right now. Put them in your pocket. Put them in your life. Apply them to your life here this morning. Because in your life, you've got to begin to understand the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. Government will not prevail against you. And 
listen, government's not a bad thing. People are, people are anti-government right now. Government's not a bad thing. Jesus said, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. So he, he's into government, okay? Hey, he said, you're going to be ruling and reigning one day. That means there's government involved in heaven. So you better start doing your best here because I believe it sets you up for what's happening up there. Come on now. That, that's a whole other message. Come on. Stay on track. Come on. I could go for 45 more minutes. I had to cut so much stuff out of this. Now, here we go. You this morning, your decision, some of you got to decide because some of you are facing, uh, facing social dynamic issues. And they're tough. I'm not saying they're not tough. But you've got to realize the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You've already got the keys. And some of you who've been binding some for so long, quit binding and just say, God, I, I let go of it. I let go of it. I let it loose. I'm loosening it. I'm not hanging on to it anymore. That worry about my career, I'm not hanging on to that worry anymore. Because if you're hanging on to worry, you ain't hanging on to Jesus. You only got two hands. Oh, those government issues that you stay up watching whatever you watch at night, CNN, Fox News, whatever it is. Oh my gosh. You need to start praying and say, oh, the gates of hell ain't prevailing against this thing. <laughs> Come on, I'm the church. We're a part of a kingdom. Jesus set an agenda. He said it's World War III coming at you. It's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of hell. And Jesus said, I've got the keys. I've already established new gates. So let's start living kingdom.